who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! Yeah, I really can't think of a better one than this this um this this particular one. Um I uh was asked to very early, like this yeah, very early. But I think I'd only been auditioning for about a year. Um, to, to come in and play a 12-year-old boy. Hello, world, and welcome back to another episode of Thanks for Coming In. I'm your host, Jillian Clare. If this is your first time tuning in, this is the show where I speak to fellow actors about their journey in this crazy industry, and I make them share a few audition stories with me, sometimes good, sometimes bad, and sometimes really embarrassing, but it's always a good time. Before we get started, if you're not following the show, make sure to do that now. Those links are in the show notes, um, and hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to it. Uh, leave us some love in the form of reviews and ratings. And um, yeah, head over to our Instagram where we post um, exclusive videos. We also started a TikTok um, from these interviews. So you can actually see us talking face to face, which is pretty cool. Uh, so if you're interested in that, those links are in the show notes. Wow. Um, it has been a while since I have been behind the mic. Yes, there have been episodes every week, but I pre-recorded a bunch because I've been so busy and um, it's nice to be back here with y'all, especially because it's my favorite time of the year. It is Halloween season. I'm so excited. I'm going to Halloween Horror Nights. My friend, who has the best Halloween party ever, is having a crazy Halloween party again this year, and I'm so excited. Um, and I've been, I've literally been working on my costume for months now. And when I say I, I mean my friend Jennifer, who makes my costumes for me. Um, she's a gem. And she was like, what are we going to do for Halloween this year? And I was like, what about this? And she was like, oh, my God, please let me do it. And I was like, OK, go ahead. Um, so I can't wait to, to share those photos with you guys because this costume's insane and it looks 
just like the character in the film. There you go. That's all you're going to get. Um, yeah, I'm going to Halloween Horror Nights this month. I'm going to the When We Were Young Festival in Las Vegas this month. It's actually my first time that I've ever gone to a um, music festival. Crazy, right? Never done Coachella or Stagecoach or... Well, I guess I went to, like... I went to one of those, um, like, ravey type of things by Insomniac back when I was, like, 19. But it wasn't, like, a full day thing. It was, like, a night thing. Anyway, it's my first, like, full day music thing. And I'm so excited. Um, going with some of my best friends. And uh, it's going to be so great. And I can't wait to see Avril Lavigne and Paramore and The Main and My Chemical Romance. And oh my God, if you're there, hit me up. Anyway, <laughs> let's get into today's episode. Uh, today we have Adria Tenner. You may remember her from Greek or Mad Men or For the People. She has a new film called One Moment that we're talking about. And uh, she's overall just a wonderful actress and director and producer and creator. And um, it was really cool to talk to her. So here's my conversation with Adria. And welcome to the show, Adria. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. So nice to meet you. I'm so excited to talk. Um, I was perusing your IMDb before before the interview, and I feel like you have been on every TV show that I have loved ever. <laughs> That's nice. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's so cool. I love I love meeting actors who have um, you know been able to have a long career and you know, work on all these fantastic different shows throughout that career. It's, it's really cool to, to see, you know, somebody who's making it happen. <laughs> well, it's nice to have somebody feel like that's what's happening. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like I'm over here by myself, like, hey, everybody, can I play? <laughs> oh, no. Well, okay. Before we get into all the stuff that you have um, been so fantastic in, I'd like to go back to the beginning of, of your career and ask, um, you know, what got you into this this world? What gave you that acting bug? Um, I, my grandma took me to see Annie at the Fisher Theater in Detroit when oh my I was gosh. six. And that was it. Like, I just wanted to be an actress. I wanted my mom to take me downtown to the auditions. I wanted to go on tour. I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to leave home and be an actress when I was six. And I was really pissed that she didn't do that. <laughs> um, and I'm, I've let it go. I am not angry anymore. But I think my mom feels a bit bad because I think she thought like, oh, it's a face. She'll get over it. And I never did. Um, yeah. I'm a little stubborn. Um, I'm, I'm. I don't give up. Um, so maybe that's why I'm, I've, you know, <laughs> lasted as long <laughs> as I have because I just refuse to like wave the white flag. Um, but that's kind of what got me, that is what got me like going. And then um, my grandma, my, so my, my, my grandfather, who I didn't know super well, was in show business. And I actually have a lot oh. of um, cousins in, my, my grandmother was born in London. Her whole family in London not whole family, but a lot of them are in the music business. Mm. Um, so they're in, in, you know, show business. My grandfather was a song plugger for Irving Berlin, which wow. meant before we had records, before people were buying a lot of records, he would sell the sheet music. So he'd go up and down the East Coast to all the music stores. He'd sit in the window playing the piano and singing the song so it would make people want to buy 
the the the, the music. Oh my gosh! So that's that's why, so cool. Yeah, yeah. That's why my last name is Tenor. Um, my grandfather was a tenor singer. Otherwise, I would have been Adria Tenenbaum. That was his his last name. Um, and so my grandmother had this real love for you know musicals and show business and dancing and singing, but she yeah. could not carry a tune in a bucket. <laughs> so <laughs> she would like babysit for me and my sister on the weekends, and um, we would put on shows. So yeah, that, I think that also got me kind of revved up about it. I love that. I love that your grandmother's love for the arts is what, you know, really sparked that flame inside of you. That's so sweet. Yeah. I I wish that um, she passed away, like, just as I was graduating college. She never Mm. really got to see everything I have gotten to do. I'm sure she'd be, like, thrilled. So she probably still is. Yeah. I'm sure she's thrilled. Yeah. Yeah. So did you, um, what route did you take? Did you say, I'm going to start acting as soon as I'm out of high school? Did you go to college for it? What was the the roadmap for you? So of course I auditioned for every school play and yes. um, <laughs> then I moved to a, a high school. So the high school where I moved around a lot at that, at that period of my life. Um, so I was in a high school that had a, a really strong drama program and they had a directing program class that I really wanted oh. to take. I didn't get to take the directing class because I moved to another school, um, another district, and I created a directing mm. class. I found this like internship program, a mentorship program. So I mentored at um, a local dinner theater. Um, so I would go to the rehearsals and, you know, sit by the director. And because I had such a, you know, background, I always took dance and, you know, singing and everything. I was able to stand in for the actors when they were out in, in in rehearsal. And then when they came back, I would, of course, teach them all the dance moves that they needed to know. (laughs) Um, so that's, that's that. And I went to, I went to college, I went to NYU, got accepted to their, you know, to school of the arts. Um, when I went, when I was going there, you know, you have to audition, you have to do a monologue. I, mm-hmm. I did a monologue and the auditor said, okay, okay. Like, I, I think I did like maybe, I don't know, a quarter of the monologue. And she's like, okay, okay, okay. Why don't you sit down and tell me about your directing? So I showed her, I had directed um, Little Shop of Horrors. I also directed a play called The Foreigner by Larry Shu. Um, wow. that was very impressive to them. And then I also said that I really liked Ibsen and that I think that's why I got, got into NYU and wow. did the directing track in order to deal with the directing track. You had to take all the classes that actors had to take in addition to the directing classes. So I got to do the thing I really loved. I really, I don't know. I can't, I, I really loved acting. So I ended up starting my career out of college as an actor yeah, because um, I just felt like the directing was something I felt like I needed more life experience. Mm. I also feel like I hate I hate, I don't want to say anything bad about anybody, but <laughs> um, I will say that when I look back at that period, there were when we started in the directing program, there were I think there were. It was like 10, 10 women and six guys in the mm. directing program. When the direct, but by the end of the four years, there were two women and six guys. Wow. And I don't, 
think that that was just like women give up. I think, I, I hate to say it, I did not feel seen or nurtured. I didn't feel like I was good mm. at it. I didn't feel like I was good at it. And maybe I wasn't. Maybe that's just as simple as it was. Maybe the girls weren't good at it. But I just think it's really interesting that there were so many women and Ex- at the end of yeah. it, there, there weren't. Um, huh. And maybe it was just because we didn't, have an appreciation for the for the female point of view yeah. at that point. I don't know. I don't know. I, I loved my my time, um, my schooling. Um, but anyway, that that is just what I felt like put put me on the the acting track, um, which I'm not I'm not uh, disappointed by. Am I talking yeah. too much? No, not at all. <laughs> I that's what this is. Question? This is a podcast. This is what we're okay. supposed to be talking. No, um, I, I think that's really. Sometimes. I think that's really interesting. I think that, you know, it's not until recently that people have been advocating for the um, female point of view. And so it makes sense that six or 10 started and two finished. Because if you don't feel like, you know, your work is being at least appreciated, even if it's not the best thing in the world, but at least if the amount of work that you're putting in and the time that you're putting in, that's not being appreciated, then yeah, I can see why you would say this is too much and nobody cares and I'm done and I want to leave. Yeah. I mean, at the time I just, I didn't, I don't think I felt like unappreciated. What I felt like was I wasn't good at it. That's Hmm. what I felt like. I just felt like, oh, I'm really not good at this. Hmm. So I took a different course. I, I, I was very, very nurtured and very seen and very encouraged by my acting teachers. Interesting. So that's what I. So that's what you did. did. It's because as actors, we're very much so like we're lovey-dovey creatures. I feel like as actors, I think actors are very much so like I don't know. I've always felt supported by my fellow actors, and when you look at other career paths, I think it's more competitive. And I, I I think that might go back to the fact that actors, like, we need each other. We need each other to do scenes correctly. We need each yeah. other to act correctly. But there can only be one or two directors on set. There can only be one or two writers on set. There can there's only that, be... There's that, too. Yeah, like, the amount of... There's one writer for every project that employs, you know, a bunch of actors. Same directors, mm-hmm. just one. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's... I, I, I think that's probably true for just humans I think humans sort of like like we are very uh we we respond to a positive I mean unless you're a sociopath and you like (laughs) the shit out of you I mean um I just think that you know I was watching Simon Simon Sidek is that his name um he was just talking about he's just so interesting about like leading with a positive um like pointing out what people are doing positive and now we'll say that too when I you know I I went through this very very cutthroat program Mm -hmm. um I was just telling my roommate this um so when I got out of that program the first class I took was with this teacher named E. Catherine Kerr I think she might still be teaching Mm. and everything so people would put up their scene and then she she would just gush about what was gorgeous about the work and for me it was really like grating because I had just gone through this really critical like you know this is wrong and you have to suffer and you have to and and there was a you know okay 
so I felt like, oh, what am I going <laughs> to learn out of this class? And sh- and it was so interesting. She would tell these actors, like, this is really beautiful. This is really beautiful. This is really beautiful. Like, this is what's working. Let's do the scene again. And they would do the scene again. And it was amazing because yeah. the work was just, it would blow me away because they were so focused on what they were doing well. That was what was permeating the work Mm -hmm. and the other stuff that was distracting and not working just kind of slipped away, fell away. You know, I feel like, you know, our subconscious just hears the thing. Like if we say like, don't fuck up, what we really hear is fuck up, fuck up, fuck up. We, you know, like, so (laughs) that's, you know, that's what we are focusing on. Um, Yeah. I mean, encouragement is always the key, right? That's how we, it's how we keep going, but it makes, yeah, it makes sense that if, if you're told this is what's beautiful and this is what's working, you're only going to bloom even greater in the next yeah. go because you're yeah. like, oh, I know what I need to put more of my energy yeah. into. Yeah. Yeah. Let's focus on that. I feel like sometimes when I'm, you know, working with a director who's like, yeah, this isn't working. Can you like not do that? I have to translate that for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so they don't want me to do that. What is it that they like? What do I? What so? What do I do? Like, what if I, I right? Yeah. What, I, I, okay, I'm not. I won't do that. That doesn't like that. I'm not. What am I doing? So, um, I think as actors, we know we work with verbs and doing, and you mm-hmm. know that kind of stuff. So, so after college, what do you do? Do you stay in New York? Do you decide to do the grind there? Do you come out to LA? What's the What's the plan after college? So I stayed in New York. Um, for a little while, uh, I auditioned, I, I got agents right away. I, I looked super young, um, mm. right out of college. I was, so I'll, I'll tell you, I booked my first commercial, um, it was for Stella Doro, which I don't even think exists anymore. Um, <laughs> and if anyone doesn't know, they sold breadsticks and cookies. Uh, and there were three, there were three girls, me and two other girls. And those two other girls were 11 and 12, and I was just out of college. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. When I showed up to the fitting, the the first AD was like, um, where's your mom? <laughs> She's in Maryland where she lives. So um, I stayed oh my in, gosh. In, in New York for a little bit. Um, and then I... I just decided I wanted to see what it was like to come to LA. I had saved a little bit of money. I'd done some some really like kind of cool things, and I had called some agents, cold called some agents because I didn't know any better, and was like, "Hey, I just did this and this, and I'm coming to LA." And most of them wanted to meet me and work with me, so I did that for a little bit for pilot season, and mm. um, went back to New York. But then, like, I realized uh, how much happier I am when I get a consistent amount of sunlight so I just I'm just yeah. like a, a different <laughs> person here I, I love New York I love the bi- vibrancy and the and the arts there and you know like the just the being on the street but um I'm just better I'm just better with like sun you're a sunflower yeah you're a sunflower you need the sun you need to bathe yeah. in it I get it I yeah. get it. I mean, I I'm from Portland, and I don't know how any of my family members have, still live up there because it's just like, you know, gloomy seventy five percent of the year. And I'm like, I don't yeah. know how you do that because I need yeah. to be 
when it's gloomy, I'm tired. But because it's always sunny here, I'm like, hey, well, mostly always sunny. You know, there's a couple of months out of the year, which we suffer. Yes. But <laughs> suffer. And, then if it, suffer. and if it's a month, it's like, it's like maybe it rains like two or three days in a row, but then yeah. the sun comes out. Like Exactly. Anyway, um, so you come out to LA, you decide this is the the place for you. And then I just want to know kind of like how how these TV roles started rolling in for you because it oh, feels okay. like I'll tell you how that happened. It feels <laughs> like well, it feels like to me that you were do you're doing like consistent, you know, guest stars or reoccurrings on on massive shows, which is, you know, an accomplishment in itself. That's very difficult to get to. That's super nice of you to say that. It's true. So many (laughs) actors, so many actors would kill for it. Well, I'll just tell you, most of the, most of the um, recurring roles, if not all of them, came from a very tiny co-star, you know, Mm. that, that they turned into like, oh, we like her. She's funny. Like, let's put this on or, oh, this character is like, we want to develop this character. So I know there is like a stigma, you know, once you get to a certain level, you know, your agents don't want to be submitting you for co-stars and agents don't want to put themselves in the position of stooping to submit for co-stars. But Mad Men came from a co-star part, you know, like wow. I, I got that top of show guest star because I started, you know, with a, a small role I, and I did three or four episodes of Mad Men. So, um, I mean, I think it's good to be careful and selective about what you're doing I think there was a promise not a promise but a hey you know we're we're from Laura Schiff um, and Josh Einson and Carrie Audino um, who cast Mad Men say that said like hey we, we you know we really want to have some really strong actors in these small roles in this first season episode three but Matt Weiner's intention is to really build this neighborhood, build these people. Um, so th- there's a good chance that Adria will come back. So we, and I did. So that was, you know, really great. cool. Um, and the same thing with, with Greek. That was. Um, Which I so, loved. Oh my God. Oh, I was obsessed you. with Greek. I loved it so <laughs> it much. Such a good show. Such a good show. Such a sweet. So good. Super sweet and smart and funny and moving. And yeah. Genuine. And the acting was really great. The writing was really great. Um, yeah. Uh, Sean Smith was really uh, put together a gorgeous it was so, a great show. Yeah. I was so sad when it ended. I was like, why? Please I come know. back. I know. Please come back. I know. Um, but to answer your question about like, how did all those things begin? Um, I have always worked in a restaurant. I love it. Um, mm. And when I came to LA, that was another thing I really liked about LA. In New York, you wait on tables and like, everybody's there like the finance like the I gotta turn my my um alerts off here um because <laughs> I keep getting things popping in uh I usually have it off during the day but um so um but in LA everybody's in this business this town is run, yeah. run by this business so when I was waiting on tables like everybody was either a casting director or writing you know a writer who's then thus a producer on a tv show so that is how I started in, in the business. Actually, okay, to be totally honest, the first 
role that I had on a TV show I got because a guy that I went to high school with, he wasn't even in my grade. I think he was in my sister's grade. He is, his uncle was a TV producer. And oh, wow. So he said, and, and he, he, this, this kid was in my production of the foreigner. <laughs> so um, I was saying goodbye to my sister and I can buy it. I don't know. I was calling her and saying, I'm moving to LA. And he was there with her and he said, Oh, you got to look at my uncle. So I did. I mean, I will say, like, you must follow every lead, every lead. You have to follow every lead. So mm-hmm. I called this guy, and he was super sweet, so nice. Came, I came and I met him um, at, at Warner Brothers. He was working on, um, um, what was the show with, with Urkel? Uh, I can't remember the name of the show. I'm sorry, I'm spacing. Oh, like, my God. Why can't I remember that it either? Like Family Ties? Is that what it was? Yeah, I think it was family, family ties. Wait, no, what's it? Family matters. What? Maybe it was family matters. Anyway, oh, geez. Was, I don't whatever know. that was, the Urkel um, show. <laughs> yeah, so there wasn't a lot that I was right for on that, and then he got put on um, another show called um, Step by Step. Oh and yeah, that was my first part so I got to come in and and I got to audition and I and I booked that job and that was super fun but everything else (laughs) came (laughs) from waiting on people here wow um like I would just you know I worked at a restaurant called Campanile that is no longer uh, in existence in in LA but owned by Nancy Silverton who now owns Moza if anyone is like a restaurant yeah, geek. Um, and it was a kind of place like it was very upscale, but it was like a, a place that the people it was beloved. People came there three or four times a week. Wow. Um, they were lovely to me, Mark and Nancy, the owners. Um, and it made me really care about what I was doing. Um, and I really wanted to reflect their food and what they were doing in a, in a you know, like, a, I just really wanted to do a good job. And I think that the people I was waiting on were like, oh, she's awesome. You know, like she cares. Right. Um, and then they would get interested in me and what I did because I was seeing them so intense a week. And then I think they felt like, oh, we'll be kind to this, this woman. We'll just like let her come in. She'll get an audition. And then I would come in and actually like book it, book it. Yeah. <laughs> I shocked people like, well, we didn't think you were going to be any good. So, um, <laughs> That so I always say like to people that are you know actors who are hating their day jobs and their side gigs like do not do don't do, embrace that you are where you're supposed to be it is a gift if you like look at it as a resource it will be a resource and it has always mm. been a resource for me um, I think it's way better to be out in the world and waiting on people especially people like that are going out to dinner in LA because those are the people that are like you know have the power and are doing things so it's good to be in front of them and there's other times where I've been I'd met casting directors when I you know first starting out did a lot of casting director workshops yeah meet people um I think uh I I met Liz Dean um who works with Ulrich Dawson Kritzer Mm -hmm. for years she's prolific casting director um, met her in a workshop and then was working at a restaurant and w- waited on her. And I just kept thinking, oh, she looks so familiar. I finally said something to her and she said, yeah, I'm Liz Dean. You did a workshop with me. And then because, I don't know, because, but I, like I hadn't been called in by her before, but at that, at, after that, she started to call me in and wow. I just kind of like jogged her 
memory. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of one of the keys to succeeding, I think, in this industry and in LA, especially is like, it's not that they don't want to see you. It's just that there's so many people. So if you can be able to jog their memory and say, hey, I'm this person, they're like, oh, right. Oh, I like you. Yeah. I need to bring you in because yeah. I remember liking you. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's always about, I actually, I do this thing now. I used to do it just like in a notebook, but now I have like a Google sheet of like all the casting directors and the last time I've seen them, what I know, like what we've had conversations about. So the next time I see them, I can say, hey, this blah, 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 blah. And then it sparks that memory so that you're once again in their mind. Yeah. Because I think it's so important. They see so many people and casting directors are obviously on our side. They have to cast yeah. us. They need us. Yeah. Um, so if you can create that connection with them, I mean, that's like, that's the Key. biggest, the biggest yeah. thing that you can do for your career. Yeah. Yeah. Just reaching out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wander with us into a world of magic. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with and reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. We'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about your new movie, One Moment. Tell me everything about it and, you know, how that came about because it looks like such a sweet, sweet film. Yeah, it is such a beautiful story. Um, it, it, so it's uh, written and directed by Deirdre O'Connor. She had this script. She um, sent it to Danny Aiello. She loved him and um, – he loved it. He, he, he said like, I love the script. Like when this character isn't on screen, everyone's talking about him. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's a, it was a beautiful role for him. Um, it was beautiful to work with him. I mean, my agents, you know, saw that breakdown, uh, agents and, and manager saw that breakdown. I sent a self tape, um, with my girl, Taylor Loeb, um, who, mm. um, puts people on tape here in LA. And, uh, yeah, the next day they just called and said, we want you to play this part. I was shocked. Wow. Yeah. Because I just felt like, wait, this is a lead in a movie. Um, shouldn't this be diff more difficult? <laughs> to make more hoops? <laughs> but it, there weren't. Um, so, uh, it was, it came at a really beautiful time for me. I was going through a really awful, uh, divorce, um, mm. and, um, I, I was living with friends for some weird, like, uh, California legal reasons. Um, I couldn't live in my house. So, uh, it got me out of LA. I shot in, um, Long Island for the summer, oh, which wow. was gorgeous. Uh, everybody was so lovely. Deirdre was so supportive and just loved everything that mm. we were doing. Um, the script is about a, um, a family of um, middle-aged siblings who are, you know, dealing with being parents and their kids getting just like kind of off to school. My character in particular, uh, single mom, just about to have an empty nest, about to have her deck cleared. She's put her life, like she's, you know, I'm a, I'm a college professor, but I haven't done everything I want to do like I haven't mm -hmm. written things I haven't you know done a sabbatical like that like really excelled and gone off because I've been a mom and now my my daughter's gonna my second my 
youngest daughter is going to go and I'm going to have this time to now focus on myself and my dad has to move in with me because he's Mm. now um, having dementia and slipping into old age and uh, just a really heart heartbreaking comedy Um, and a lot of my friends really related to this you know um I don't myself have children but I do think it's so difficult especially as a woman these days you know we we're still expected to be the caretaker we're still expected to be the mom but we're also expected to like be a breadwinner and be in the workforce and it is so difficult to multitask and juggle and do all these things and um the fact that our parents are living longer also makes it even more difficult because then you know there's there is no space like the kids yeah the kids are going out and then the parents are are taking the place of of the people that need care so um Hmm. i'm really proud of it um it was beautiful to work with Danny Aiello. He is, was an, just an amazing actor, so committed, loved acting so much, really, really wanted to honor Deirdre's story, which was beautiful for me. I also am a filmmaker, so to have this older, very revered, respected um, movie star yeah, uh, who's been on name for a few Oscars, or a Oscar, I don't know if there's more than one, um, to, to have this man be so supportive and, and so, um, you know, what do we do? What do you want? How can we make this great? was just so lovely to, to mm. see. Um, so I just, it's, I really encourage everybody to see it. It was, you know, it's just a really sweet story. And I'm so, I'm so happy that it's finally out. It took a long time because of COVID and the yeah. festival being weird. You know, the festival circuit was a little weird. With yeah, everything was up thing. in the air for a while. <laughs> yeah. So now it's like finally out there. It's so nice. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited to watch it. I, I love slice of life films. I love films that bring us into our realities a bit more and let us, you know, really get into the shoes of our, our fellow humans our fellow human beings and see their struggles. And I think films like that are important. Of course, having, you know, the spectacle films are fun to be able to turn off your brain. But I think films like this are so important for us to share so that we can understand each other's experience and grow as, as a society and a community. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think it's like, especially nice that this subject matter that's really painful and difficult has been, uh, produced with such first of all such a love and care but also mm. humor she really finds the sweet humor in it which I think is you know um, it's important yeah it's so important yeah. well on this show we like to share audition stories okay. <laughs> so that can be um you know a bad audition a funny audition an embarrassing one or the the one that got away um do you have an audition story that you would like to share with the listeners? Yeah, I really can't think of a better one than this this um this this particular one. Um I uh was asked to very early, like this yeah, very early. But I think I'd only been auditioning for about a year. 
um, to, to come in and play a 12 year old boy in this audition. I, I went and read for the casting director, which was, that was Carrie Barden. Of, and he was at the time with Billy Hopkins. The company was called, I think, I think it was called at that point Hopkins. Well, maybe it was still Billy Hopkins, but it turned into <laughs> Hopkins Smith Barden. And then everybody went, went on, you know, went on off on their own. Read for Carrie. He was like, great, come back. Came back. This time was reading with Suzanne Smith with Hal in the room and um, there was a, an actor and usually, you know, I've only been doing this a year, but most of the time when I went in the room, the actor who was there to read with me was somebody who was trying to like get into good graces with the casting director. Right. Learn. You learn so much from watching. I, th- I just thought it was some poor schlep actor, right? Yep. <laughs> so I go in and I think the fact that I was auditioning for a 12 year old boy. Now the scene was um, these two. So it was a, a, a man who Mm -hmm. was a pornography dealer, but he had amnesia. He didn't know who he was, and he had this (laughs) porn porn magazine in his pocket. (coughs) He's walking around, doesn't know where he is, and he finds a park bench and sits down next to this kid, this 12-year-old boy. So it was the, the, and they start to talk about this porn magazine and naked women and everything. And I think how, I mean, I know how thought, like, well, if I cast a boy in this role I'm gonna get so much shit from my female friends about mm-hmm. like how like two dudes talking about naked women but if I cast a woman in the role of a 12 year old boy and give it this weird female presence that might be really cool so that's what he did so that's why I was auditioning to play a 12 year old boy because he wanted <laughs> a woman to play and I think he also wanted to work with an adult I think he wasn't into like opening this like this can of worms and trying to work with a child yeah. So anyway, okay. So because I'm, I'm just, I just, it just made me feel different to, to be a boy. I felt like a badass. I just felt like, don't fuck with me. I'm like, I don't know. It just changed how I felt the clothes, mm. you know, the jeans, like the, I don't know. I just felt <laughs> like, Whoa. and I go in the room and, and they said, okay, you know, you're going to read with Martin. And I looked at him and I said, okay, please don't start until I'm ready. You'll know. And it, does anybody on book, because I really don't want to hold this script, but I, I might lose my line. So I want to be able to say line. And they were like, okay. And I said, okay. And um, is it okay if I move this chair? I want to, I just like, <laughs> I was like oh my God. And um, Suzanne Smith said, is the lighting okay for you, Adria? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, it's fine. Um, so then I go and I do the scene with Martin. Martin is fucking, excuse me, he's awesome. He's amazing. He's memorized too. Like, wow, kudos to you, reader, dude. We do the scene. <laughs> we rock this scene. And Hal is like very subdued, low-key. He's like, okay, can you try it like this? I'm like, yeah. Okay. So we, so, we, so don't, don't, you know, don't start until I'm ready. You'll know. You, okay, cool. Okay. We do it again. It's awesome. He's Martin's awesome. And then Cal, Hal's like, okay, thank you. And I left and I thought, oh my God, that guy Hal, he didn't know anything. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't understand how great I was, but that guy, Martin, he like, I, like he was amazing. It turns out well, that was Martin Donovan who was the star of the movie. And that's why he was reading with me. Oh my God. Um, so anyway, that was a funny story. I, I ended up getting that part. Um, 
And just coincidentally, the the acting teacher that I had at at NYU, who was so cutthroat and like hard on me, and I left, you know, that program thinking like, this guy thinks I'm terrible. I'm sitting on my couch the next day, and the phone rings, and it's this teacher of mine, and he says, "Um, I guess you put your my name on your resume. Um, And Hal is a former student of mine, and he called to check to see if I thought you, you know, whatever. He called to, to, you know, probably, I don't know exactly how he phrased it, but like, (laughs) calling to see, like, what he thought of me. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm not going to get this part. This teacher's going to tell Hal I'm terrible. (laughs) But he didn't. He, he, He said, oh, and he said you were completely memorized. And I said, yep. Anyway, that was my first role. Um, and I didn't get another wow. part for a while because that was like the only footage I had. And I would take that footage, you know, to agents and managers to, you know, casting directors. And they would say, this is when you had a videotape, like you'd have to take it. Right. And, drop it right. Off. and so many times people would say, oh, um, you dropped off the wrong tape. This is a, this is a tape of a of two men there's a boy and a, and a man and I was like yeah that's me yeah that's me <laughs> boy. Just, oh anyway. my gosh that's amazing I love that <laughs> I love that so much so that's my favorite audition story I love it well it has been so fun talking to you yeah, what great do to you, talk to um, you what do you have next on the slate are you working on anything right now so I am working on an, another solo show. Uh, I wrote a solo show several years ago called Strip Search about my um, studies with Sheila Kelly and pole dancing. And this is a new piece, maybe a sequel to that. Um, Ooh. I think I'm going to release it as a serialized novella, like on Wattpad or Radish or Amazon. Bella, oh, fun. Like a subscription-based. So I'd re- release a chapter at a time. And then sort of as that momentum's building, do the 90-minute solo show and then hopefully get it produced as a, a limited series. So I'm really – and then, of course, continuing to audition and – Yeah. Uh, yeah. That. Amazing. I love it. Well, thank you so much. How can people follow you on social media to keep up with your projects? Yeah. I mean, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm just at Adria Tenor, A-D-R-I-A-T-E-N-N-O-R, two N's in tenor. (laughs) And then, yeah, like I'm on Facebook. People can friend me on Facebook. I'm pretty open to that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Just Google. Google. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. It's yeah, been such a pleasure you. talking to you. So nice to talk to you, Jillian. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks again to Adria for coming on the show and spending some time with me. Make sure to check out her new movie, One Moment, wherever you watch films. Just go do that. Um, and yeah, if you're not subscribed to the show, go ahead and, and hit that subscribe button and tell your friends, tell your family. Um, and as always... Thanks for coming in. Hey, Jenny, have you um, ever heard of a vampire slayer? Do you mean the one girl in all the world with the strength and skill to fight the vampires, demons, and forces of darkness? I do. Oh, yeah, I've heard of her. Cool. My name is Jenny Owen Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together, we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Never seen Buffy before? We will protect you. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. 
Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? <laughs> Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. So if you've never watched Buffy or if you're about to watch the series for the 14th time, come over and join us. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at BufferingCast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.